HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello, and welcome to Life's a Blanket with me, your host, Blanket, Michael Jackson's child. And me, Michael Jackson. (laughs) Well, this is off to a weird start as usual, folks. We're back, but we're as zany as ever. Nicole, I was just admiring your haircut, which none of our listener can see. (laughs) But let me assure you, you look like Charlize Theron from, I was going to say the Devil Wears Prada, but I think I mean. Is she in that? Dante's Inferno. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what is the movie where Al Pacino is the devil? Uh, With Keanu Reeves. The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> the Devil's Rejects. The de- <laughs> Constantine. What the fuck is this movie called? It's not Constantine. It's called. I know, I'm kidding. The Devil's Advocate. The Devil's Advocate, right? which is me. Well, I think it's Al Pacino. Is that what it's called? I don't know. All right. Anyway. The Scent of a Woman. (laughs) (laughs) Hoo-ah! What's going on? Well, we went on a break for summer. So I went to Michigan for vacation. Oh, my. Swam in Lake Michigan, which was really nice. Um, That's fun. Uh, I thought you were going to Wisconsin. What happened? You decided against it? Well, it turns out that the lake or the beaches in Wisconsin are very rocky. So it's still on Lake Michigan, but for whatever reason on that side, it's super rocky. So then on the east side, which is Michigan side, they're sandy. And I'm really into sandy beaches because I want to lay on the beach. Sure. Absolutely. I hear that. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's fun. A vacation in Michigan. That's yep. amazing. Did you stay in a lake house? Um, no, we stayed in an Airbnb that was very close to the beach. And then we went to Grand Rapids, which is, you know, a little bit further away from the water, but a major city. So we had fun there, too. Ah, Lots of dream. hipster restaurants to go to. What? a dream come true what do you think that ben affleck is doing to celebrate his summer solstice well yesterday was his one year wedding anniversary oh wow <laughs> so they I made wonder it what they did they made it for one year folks i can't remember how long we predicted they would stay together but i think <laughs> we're probably wrong apparently jennifer lopez um made a song for their anniversary no! I don't know what if she's going to release it on major radio stations or what. It's a romantic song according to Harper's Bazaar. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, she's probably just using this as a way to make some cash, I would assume. But No, that doesn't We're not going to play it, but you guys can look it up if you want to. I'm sure you do uh, want to. <laughs> it's very funny that you should say that because I actually wrote a song for our anniversary because it's our, I think, now don't quote me folks, and I could have very easily just looked this up. It would take one second. Um, I think it might be our 200th episode. Whoa! 200 
episodes with you. Uh, hey, we're talking about very stupid stuff. I'm embarrassed of this podcast, but I like you. <laughs> You're not Happy embarrassed. Well, you should no, be embarrassed I'm- from all the same that I have outlawed every time. That's why I'm embarrassed because my <laughs> voice kind of sounds like Robert Goulet and maybe that's why I'm single ho. You are a single ho. <laughs> single ho, ho. <laughs> I'm having a ho girl summer now. Top that, children. Mm-hmm, they can't. Um, what? How? What's going on with you? I haven't seen you in 30 years. Well, my hair continues to grow longer and longer as Whoa. yours get shorter. It's Look psychotic. at this. It's touching my nipple. That's insane. I know it. These prices are insane. <laughs> um, what's new? Well, they caught the Long Island serial killer, I allegedly. Know. And it is not my ex-boyfriend, Jesse, which I'm disappointed about. <laughs> so, well, they only got him for, what, four of the murders? He could have helped out with the other five. That's true. Um, this guy kind of looks like everyone's dad I knew growing up in Long Island. So there was a podcast about those murders, like a fairly recent one, like within the last five years. And they yeah. they kind of had their own suspect, but I don't know. Was it this guy? No. It wasn't him. Okay. It was not. However, this morning I was uh, reading something from this crime journalist, Billy Jensen. It was very interesting. He was saying that... Um, they had one of the victims um, had this kind of thing where she would have the Johns over at her house and um, her boyfriend would come in and kind of disrupt it and the guy would leave. It was kind of like, I guess, some kind of thing they had that they might regularly do. And they did it to the suspect in this case. And um, they had his car like they knew what the car of this john was they knew the height of this person they knew that the phone that he called her on the burner phone the next day was from massapequa right this was like years ago yeah i remember that was on the podcast right yeah but then like actually i'm not gonna say yeah that confidently i don't know but they had all the information about this and then so they did this kind of thing to this the suspect and then he met up with her again, texted her from the burner phone to meet. She met him again after this happened. And then she was never seen or heard from again. And she was killed. And like the Suffolk County police had all this information. All it would have taken was for them to be like, oh, let's search everyone who has this car that's above this height who lives in Massapequa. They found him in like a second. Well, so I, I don't I don't know. Why would they do that, though? They're so busy. Bad police work. And I'm from Suffolk County. I can attest. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, they're idiots. But I was there, there was something to do with, like, a doctor or something, right? Like, there was a witness or something who was a doctor. Yeah, that he- was the person who lived next door who initially, like, I believe that's how the podcast started. So now we're just okay. kind of sort of inaccurately quoting this podcast. Yes, we're, like, remember- vaguely remembering it. Okay, there's definitely a doctor, and he definitely lived somewhere. <laughs> And he lived like somewhere and something happened. It was not him. But um, anyway, it's huge news uh, for everyone, but mostly for me. I'm taking it very personally. Again, <laughs> I'm from Long Island. I drive down Ocean Parkway all the time on my way to Robert Moses. No. Uh, anyway, it's um, it's very interesting because there just really aren't very many serial killers anymore. Thank God. But yeah. um, but the ones that are out there still should be worried because we're catching you all. We just we're them- coming for you. We just caught the one, not necessarily a serial killer, but the unsolved murder of those two girls here in Indiana. Um, they just caught that guy too. So Wow. Yeah. Stop murdering. Or me and Nicole are going to find you. <laughs> We're going to vaguely remember a podcast about you. And that's yeah. going to solve the crime. Well, everyone's coming here for their Lisk information, um, obviously. Because it's the 200th episode, we said we'd have something big for you. That's right. We're cracking. The case. Up next, Jack the Ripper. We're cracking cases that have already been cracked, just to be clear. (laughs) Up next, Jack Jack the Ripper. It was actually Johnny Depp. It was him the whole time. Did you see that movie, Sleepy Hollow? Just kidding. (laughs) Jack the Ripper with Johnny Depp? Yeah, there was a a Jockey Depp called Jock the Ripper. (laughs) Called Jock the Ripper. It's the French version. (laughs) Um, It was called From Hell. Oh, yeah, I saw that. I think I like that movie. It was about Jack the Ripper? 
Huh, I'm going to rewatch it. I feel like I remember liking it. Yeah, I liked it. It was good. Who knows? Um, anyway. That sort of vaguely reminded me of something my coworker told me, which is that they're making, they made and released a bird box colon Barcelona. And I was like, is it just bird box, the same movie, but in Spanish? And he's like, yeah. no, it's a totally different movie. And I was like, okay. <laughs> everyone's eating all the tapas they can get before the world ends it's like that scene in the beginning where like everything starts going haywire except they're all in like you know little bars in barcelona they're like shoving like anchovies yeah and they have little olives and chips sounds great (laughs) they're like we don't give a shit the world's ending we have potato chips and fucking vermouth yeah we're great we love it we're gonna take a nap for two hours later yeah So nothing much has been happening, really. I am going on a vacation to the country of Italy Mm. uh, in September. And that sounds fun. fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to the Amalfi Coast on my honeymoon. Nice. Well, that's what I was supposed to go there on my 40th birthday, remember? But then a little thing called COVID took place. I don't remember. It doesn't sound familiar. Can you refresh my memory? Well, it's 2020. It's going to be October and I have bought tickets to go to Italy which is where (laughs) everything started really happening (laughs) before anything else so the airline kindly uh refunded my $800 plane ticket and then I never left the United States ever again yeah I we're flying so I'm going with Michael Peretti and we're flying he like wanted to try a new budget airline so we're flying Norse Air what? Um, all of the flight attendants and pilots are Vikings. Huh. And you eat like raw whale on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. I feel like this isn't the first time we've talked about eating raw whale on the podcast. It's this- true. Listener, right in. Else? <laughs> yeah, listener, remind us. When else did we talk about guzzling raw whale blubber? We should have a whale episode. We should. Next week for the two- 201st uh, Life's a Banquet Spectacular, The whale episode. The whale Um The Whale's Tale. Great. So you're moving. You're moving to Italy in September. <laughs> yeah, I'm moving. Um, Forward my post. That will sound, that sounds great. Keep your apartment in New York, I assume, while you live expat. In yeah, definitely. Style. Are you going to do never your, leaving. your pop-up in Italian? Yeah, I'm going to do my Italian-American pop-up in Italy and be <laughs> shooed out of the country. <laughs> uh, lasagna! What is this? Um, so, no, I'm never leaving my apartment because I just remodeled as though I own this place. And, I like, know I saw I ever, you nut. If I ever leave, they're going to sue me. I have, like, glued mirrors to the wall. I, like, did stucco walls, which actually, like, seems a lot more insane than it is because you can just, like, sand it off. But the mirrors I glued to the wall um might be problematic i'm hoping that the building just um by the time i'm ready to leave in like 25 years from now Mm -hmm. that they just like sell the building and they won't like care that i did all this stuff because i'm not just gonna like leave mirror (laughs) i'm not just gonna leave uh you glued mirrors to the wall yeah like with epoxy basically because they're like kind of like gym mirrors you know like athletic mirrors like um yeah frameless mirrors so it's like kind of a wall of mirrors when did you get those those new Uh, to me yeah at ikea i've been doing some house remodeling because i haven't been working as much and um instead of losing my mind i decided that i would do something new to my apartment so you say you can sand off this stucco wall but that seems very labor intensive after looking at your wall (laughs) well it's soft so if you look at sander it's like kind of soft it's just i instead of using a lot of people when they do this thing um they use like plaster, mm-hmm. but I just used joint compound, so it's like pretty soft. Okay, so like it does look easy like to stand. Okay, great. Yeah. All right. Well, it's, good tip for anyone who's a renter and has a desire to do textured plaster walls. <laughs> just do use joint compound, and it's pretty cheap. I have textured plaster ceilings in my home, um, which you may recall from when you visited here thirty years ago. I do. I remember. I'm glad that they're still there. Yeah. Should we get into today's today's topic? No, I think we're doing great. Everyone must be riveted by this content. Imagine, imagine how bored and disappointed people must be. Some terrible, like half-assed information about the Long Island serial killer. Really well researched. You mean? Yeah. 
babe Vila over here with fucking <laughs> the plaster report. And fucking I'm whale. like, oh, you know what? I have plaster ceilings too. Everyone must have been dying to know what my ceilings look like. Okay. And now you know. You made all the time. more you know. <laughs> okay. Well, we do have a topic, shocking as it may be. Um, summer vegetables. I know you guys are thinking about them right now, every moment of the day, probably, because it's mid July. <clears throat> um, I'm eating them. Yeah, you're probably eating them. I'm eating raspberries, though. Off topic, sorry. Um, the one that I chose was heirloom tomatoes, which possibly we've done before. I searched through all of our podcasts and it didn't come up. You and Bretton did a tomato episode seven yeah, years Yeah, I did ago. ketchup, I think. Like one of the first episodes yeah. was about ketchup. So I decided to do t- heirloom tomatoes. My research, because I was kind of like, why did they become so wild and crazy and everybody has them but that was sort of not as easy to find i found this article called heirloom tomatoes bizarre evolution on salon.com by jennifer jordan and i was reading this article and i'm like this article sucks it's like long and meandering Whoa. and it's like so not informative and it shut it turns off right when i'm about to get to the part that i wanted to know about and it's because it's actually an excerpt from her book which they did not mention at the beginning of the article. They only mentioned it at the end. So this woman is like going all over the place talking about like her experience with tomato. It was just like a lot of information. So I had to do multiple kinds of research, cobble them together, and this is what you guys are going to get, okay? And also, even though it says bizarre evolution, nothing in her article was bizarre in any way. Uh, well that's what happens right because like I think a lot for this show I know I do this I'm sure you do the same thing you google like crazy history uh-huh. of marshmallows you know what I mean it's like <laughs> the wild and unbelievable history of marshmallows yeah. and like facts about marshmallows number one is like they're white and fluffy and it's like yeah. wow shocking yeah yep so Jennifer Jordan I don't think I'll be reading your book okay um tomato <clears throat> tomato Okay. The Nicole Bailey story. Tomatoes in the ancient times, well, heirloom tomatoes in the ancient time were just called tomatoes. Okay, guys? Whoa. <laughs> um, but the origins of the tomatoes are somewhere in the Andes. It was a wild plant with teeny tiny berries and nobody ate them. Okay? Um, then later... They started to be cultivated in Central America. Later is a word from the article. I have no idea what time we're talking about here. Um, yada, yada, yada. Probably the year one or something. Um, in Central America, Aztecs ate them, um, apparently, and but they liked tomatillos better. So just so you know. You know. Um, Euro trash explorers who came around to Central America took tomatoes back to Europe. <laughs> But they also came from Portuguese explorers. So they came from like all sorts of different places into Europe. They don't really know exactly where or when or why. Um, But even though they were starting to like go around town and everyone kind of knew about them, it was mostly an ornamental or medicinal plant or people thought it was poison until the 19th century when tomatoes blew up. Okay. Oh. Um, (laughs) <laughs> so yeah people started you know doing a little bit more home farming and all that stuff canning became pretty popular and tomatoes can really well and so that meant that people were planting them so they could use them for all year um vegetable breeding was also popular during this time um and so much of the heirloom tomatoes that we see today are actually developed during this era so this article throws a little bit of shade on heirloom tomatoes she's like they're not even that old they're only from the 19th century so they're not even like super old (laughs) i was like okay i mean if something's from the 1800s that's pretty old to me sure like like me if you have a blanket that you have from the 1800s you would call that an heirloom probably right a hundred percent so yeah for me i'm fine with it um but the thing about tomatoes back then is that they did, you know, there was no refrigeration. And so you would eat tomatoes that were local and seasonal and just the varieties that were available in your region because they weren't able to ship them around. Um, All the tomato varieties from before the Civil War or most have disappeared 
god because what they, kind do you think we had i don't know they probably shot them and then they disappeared <laughs> um but there are a couple of varieties that are preserved at this place called oliver kelly farm in minnesota which is like a living museum um that has like really ancient american varieties of vegetables which is kind of cool um in the 1930s or the 1930s and 40s farming as we all know turned away and became horrible um most farming was from a large variety of crops and it was open pollination um that started to become less popular it's also less sustainable because you kind of just are you know, you have to just deal with whatever happens, basically, and you lose a lot of crops that way. So they started making hardier hybrids. Um, the increase in scale of farming and the use of synthetic fertilizers. Um, they started making these hybrid seeds and marketing them to farmers who, because like one year they lost like ninety percent of their corn to like a, some sort of disease. So that yeah. prompted people to be like, okay, we need to use these hybrid seeds. So they've stopped using their heirloom seeds. So heirloom seeds basically mean you can plant the seeds, the tomatoes or whatever will grow, and then you collect those seeds and you can replant them next year. Right. And that's how it all works. But with hybrid seeds, they're sturdier. And some, you know, hybrids happen naturally as well as unnaturally, but um, they're not fertile. So you plant the heirloom seeds and then at the end of the year, you can't reuse them. You have to buy new seeds every year um weird but where do the seeds come from they just like make seeds in like a seed factory i mean don't they have to kind of collect them at some point well no i mean they have to just make this genetic i don't know they basically if you use a hybrid seed and it is fertile you don't really know what's going to come out it could be one or either of the parents it could just be like you don't know if Ah. it's going to be the actually (laughs) you don't know if it's going to be the (laughs) hybrid that you had before it could be like a frankenstein it could come to life you don't know yeah, um, it's like the attack of the killer tomatoes. So you have to buy them from the seed factory. Yes, I don't know what's going on in there, but yes. Wacky. Um, probably they're just taking the exact same two regulars and hybriding them over and over again. I don't know, though. I'm not a seed farmer. You don't know about tomato sex. That's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, so then obviously GMO started to sweep the nation and present day genetically modified organisms account for over 90% of corn, sugar beets, soy, papaya. What? And canola. Papaya? I know. Papaya tastes like human. Honestly, <laughs> not that I've had human, but I've, like whenever I taste papaya, I'm like, this must be what people taste like. I don't think, I feel like people are supposed to taste like chicken, though. I think papaya tastes like chicken. Mm. I think it tastes like meat. We are not supposed to have papaya in America, right? That's that why we have to GMO it? Like, also, is there a huge demand for papaya here? (laughs) I've only had one in my life. Fucking ladies of Cobble Hill are shoving each other over for papaya (laughs) around here. Get out of here! That's my papaya, they say. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Um... So, right. So GMO, big deal. Everybody loves it. Um, But there are no genetically modified tomatoes on the market today. I don't really know why, but there was one called like Flavor Save that they introduced. Isn't that what the mustache is? I don't know. What's the mustache? Isn't that what people call a mustache? That's disgusting. Um, (laughs) I didn't make it up. (laughs) Um, Not safe for work. That um, if you're listening to this out loud in your office, <laughs> turn it down. <laughs> what Nicole is trying to say is that tomatoes taste like pussy. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, listen. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, so <laughs> the flavor save was introduced in 1994, genetically modified tomato, <laughs> but then it was t- taken off the market in 1997, but it didn't say why. I'm assuming it killed millions of people. Nobody. It tasted too much like pussy. <laughs> nobody knows what it happened. <laughs> Uh, in 1997, I was just innocently attending high school and having no idea that millions of people were dying from this tomato. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So basically, industrialization of agriculture means that we're getting fewer and fewer varieties of tomatoes because you just are using the ones that are hybrid. And those are, you know, like six varieties. Also, the university labs that developed these were instructed to 
think of a projectile when they were creating this tomato. So they're like, make it as round as like a baseball. Better um, for throwing at people who you don't think are funny. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so people also started to like demand year round tomatoes. And so as a result, flavor country has been lost. <laughs> Um, like the city of Atlantis. But so one of the farmers, this, um, at the time people were just doing that because they wanted to survive as farmers. Right. So they're one of the farmers, a tomato farmer he's listed as, he said, I don't get paid a cent for flavor. Um, so sure. That makes sense to me. Um, in 1975, Kent Wheatley. I know Kent Wheatley. Big K as I like to call him. Yes. KW. He founded the Seed Savers Exchange, which is essentially the only reason that we currently are able to have heirloom anything because oh, wow. they started this exchange where people would save them and sort of mail them to each other and kept many of the varieties from going extinct. Um, and then from 1975 to the 90s, it was just sort of like little like home growers that were doing this, you know, like maybe small farms, but for the most part, nobody was really super into it but in the 90s I think it was a combination of things first of all fancy restaurants started having them and that sort of snowballed into Martha Stewart putting them on the cover of her magazine alongside heritage turkeys which is Uh a turkey I'm assuming that has some heritage of some kind (laughs) um but yeah so everybody kind of just like started getting into it um so much with like popular foods of the 90s it started kind of like in the bougie restaurants and then just sort of swept the nation martha stewart really she only uses heirloom tomatoes now allegedly um she's sponsored by big heirloom and (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah that's how it became such a thing that you can just like walk around i mean i can't really find them in my grocery stores here in indiana maybe at whole foods i guess but um there are plenty of like farms market, farmers markets and farm stands that I can go to to find them. But I feel like in New York, it's easier to find them. But probably some yeah, there's at the grocery store, right? There's heirlooms like year round at um, almost year round. I think at uh, what the fuck is that place called? Union Market. Oh yeah, and the other thing is like the other part of the article, which she didn't really get into because it was just an excerpt from her book, but. Because they become so popular, things like that are happening. And so they're they're actually starting to lose some of the flavor because they are trying to make them year-round because the demand is so high. And the de- huge demand is making it sort of impossible to create heirloom tomatoes on that scale because they're not really shippable. They're fragile. You know, the whole point of why they sort of got pushed away by industrialization is that they don't really last. They're not shippable. Um, so it's an interesting phenomenon. Um, the only other thing that I thought was interesting, I came across a book with my research called tomato land, how modern industrial agriculture destroyed our most alluring fruit, which is a really long title, um, by Barry Easterbrook. And I think I'm going to read that. It sounds interesting. Um, very interesting. Yeah. So we'll see. I love an heirloom tomato. Yeah, they're great. I'm going to go, I'm going to go ahead and say something right now. Heirloom tomato. No place on a BLT. Folks, trying to make that perfect summer BLT, get that fucking heirloom tomato right out of there. Too juicy. I want it to be juicy, though. Too juicy. <clears throat> too too wet for a BLT. I want it to be wet. I want it to be and like you, a panzanella in my hand. No, you... <laughs> <laughs> you need a beef steak you a portable, for that BLT. I want a portable panzanella. <laughs> I can eat in my car. <laughs> I want a panzanella latte. Let's go ahead and bring that. Mm. You've heard of pumpkin spice. How about panzanella? Folks? Yeah, where's Let's our, with it. Where's our tomato bread latte at? Well, I guess that's kind of like Papa al Pomodoro. Have you ever had the that soup, Papa al Pomodoro? No, but it's also kind of like gazpacho, right? Tomato bread latte. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Iced latte. And, and to, exactly, a pan con tomato iced latte. I'm just going to go ahead and order it and see what happens. Yeah. And if they say we don't have that, I'm going to go, uh, excuse me. Excuse oh, me. Martha Stewart has these at her house. <laughs> this brings me to my next complete non sequitur, but um, I was returning from a very long walk the other day. And 
um, I, I was in the Lower East Side and I popped into some like bougie coffee shop. I won't name it, but it was annoying. And I said, Hey, I was so friendly. I said, Hey, do you guys do an Arnold Palmer in here? And up the in barista, here? I was like, do you, let me get an Arnold Palmer up in here, up in here. I'm about to lose my mind up in here. And the barista was like, didn't know what that was. So I just like rolled my eyes. I was like, all right, let me just get an iced tea. So they gave me like this like really cloudy, you know, when you have like an iced tea sometime and it's like when it's very concentrated, it's like cloudy. It almost looks like an iced coffee with milk in it. Yeah. I'm getting sick thinking of this. I hadn't really eaten anything. And I took like literally like three sips of this. It was so strong that it was like, I think I would have passed away from like having a heart attack had I actually drank it. <laughs> I took three sips and I got so nauseous that I almost threw up because it was that strong. Like, I have know. you ever had tea on an empty stomach? That's, well, like, you have a, a story in your life where you did throw up from drinking tea on an empty stomach. It was green tea though, right? Yeah, green tea. Yeah, I have thrown up from green tea <laughs> on an empty stomach. I guess I'm tea sensitive, which seems strange. Like, I'm not really, I'm not really very sensitive to things, but vitamins or like green tea but then I was reading about it because I was like oh my god do I have like Ebola Mm -hmm. and no iced tea is iced black tea is stronger than green tea so anyway just word to the wise out there don't drink a cloudy iced tea on an empty stomach so you didn't try to explain what an Arnold Palmer was no they were like French fucking 25 year olds who were like mad cool and like trying to be cool. They probably knew what it was like, no, we don't do that. As though it's like unsophisticated. Sorry, that's the most delicious drink available for consumption by yeah. humans. Besides so, the panzanella salad latte. That's it's the second, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be like usurped by the spaghetti and meatballs cappuccino. Mm, very thick. Very, very hearty. Good for winter time. All right, let's go ahead and take a break now, folks. We'll be right back with some more riveting summer vegetable content. Only here on Heritage Heirloom Radio. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. All right, folks, we're back with summer's sexiest vegetable. Now, I bet you're all wondering what I'm wondering, which is how did eggplant become so hot and sexy? We're going to get to that. Don't worry. Okay. But first, we start with a murder. That's right, a murder. And no, it's not your favorite murder of the Long Island serial killer. It is another murderer, um, and this is an article from Vice Magazine by Mohamed uh, Fatal, and it is entitled, Farmer Blames an Eggplant for shooting for the Shooting Murder of His Neighbor. Okay, cool. Neighbor is spelled the Australian way because this, my friends, happened in the continent of Australia. Cool. Okay, great. So, Angelo Russo, a 55-year-old, Goldburn Valley chili farmer has been accused of murdering his neighbor. He farms chili? Neighbor. Yeah, (laughs) chili. Like chili peppers. Uh, Like the red hot chili peppers. They live on this farm. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, So, but Angelo claims he didn't mean to shoot his neighbor in the face with a shotgun. In the face with a shotgun? Jesus. It was an accident, Nicole. Okay. He says he slipped over an eggplant while carrying a loaded weapon with the safety off, which tragically unloaded on his neighbor. Okay, I believe him. It sounds credible, right? So on Wednesday, also, prosecutors... Also, it's probably super slippery there because there's chili everywhere. That's true. It's not chili like you're thinking, <laughs> though, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> just I'm a just bunch of hilarious. wet bean chili <laughs> just rising from the ground like lava. Yep. <laughs> Uh, uh. it's chili season it's a chili farm whoa it's very very bubbly here (laughs) and then he has a sour cream and a cheddar cheese farm next door nice um on wednesday prosecutors at the victorian supreme argued that angelo had intentionally murdered his neighbor david calandro who had earlier run over his dog (gasps) an english spaniel named harry i'll tell you all about that in a moment 
But Angelo kept rambling on about the eggplant, which had been, which had found, which was found beaten and slightly squished at the crime scene. <laughs> so Wait. essentially, I'll give you the rundown of what happened. This guy, David Calandro, went over with his other friend to Angelo's house. And they were, I guess, going to get some chilies. And while they were leaving, the dog was like, you know, as some farm dogs like to do or non-farm dogs run at the car and bark at it. And so like David was like swerving at the dog, like to try to scare him away, which don't do that. That's That's so stupid. Also, is David also a farmer? He should know that this is not a good thing to do. I know. I mean, I have no idea. I like to think maybe the tires got like stuck in some bean chili and he swerved on accident. Yeah, it became like a refried bean mud situation. <laughs> exactly. Those tires were just spinning and spinning. Um, so anyway, he runs over the dog and then just like leaves. They just like drive away. And then the farmer, uh, this guy Angelo was like, dude, what the fuck? Fucking ran over my dog and just like left it. And it was like spasming. That's insane. He deserves to die. I, I know. And so like then the guy came back, David... And Angelo slipped on a slippery eggplant and shot him in the face by accident. I think that's fine. He should be acquitted. Yeah. Um, so that's what happened. So it was just a little story to wet your palate. Now we're going to talk about everyone's favorite food, unless you're allergic to eggplant. Eggplant Parmesan. Oh, and nice. I'm, I'm going to go get ahead here and start off by saying, I don't like calling it eggplant Parmesan. And I don't know why it's like called eggplant parmesan i like to call it either eggplant parmigiana or egg i like to write it like that i don't say eggplant parmigiana i say because that would be embarrassing yes but (laughs) i write it like that right if i'm writing it on a menu or whatever i say it eggplant parm to me parmesan reminds me of craft parmesan cheese like and so i'm not sure how and why we call it eggplant parmesan parmesan spelled p-a-r-m-e-s-a-n but i don't care for it it's not for me i hear you i say no is that does that go for all of the parmesans or just the eggplant one any kind of parmesan (laughs) zucchini chicken veal no thank you great parm or parmigiana that those are the only two acceptable things and this is my own snobbiness because this this eggplant parmesan its history and origins spelled parmesan is from Lucucina Italiana in an article written by a person who sounds Italian, Massimo Inari. Sure. I digress. Now let's get into this here. Nicole, where do you think eggplant part, where, if you were to imagine the history, what would you say? Any um, thoughts? Like probably you're in like Seville. <laughs> in Seville? In Spain? Yeah. That, that's where the tomatoes first originated, they think. So I was like, well, eggplants probably came around the same time, right? Okay. Well, that's interesting. Actually, I think, as we'll get to in a moment, it's kind of like an an adaptation of the Turkish moussaka. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So eggplant arrives in Italy during the 15th century when the Arabs brought it from India. Uh, A lot of people think that eggplant parm uh, comes from Parma because of parmigiano reggiano which has become like a typical ingredient as the hard cheese and eggplant parm um but it started off with pecorino right they the pecorino was the sheep's cheese is what they used in, right. in moussaka and sheep's cheese is what they i believe still use when you make it in the south of italy and like naples in the surrounding area but i'll tell you when i go there um, okay so anyway it actually uh comes from the sicilian word Parmigiana, spelled P-A-R-M-I-C-I-A-N-A. Interesting. Um, which refers to the little like wooden strips that form a shutter because that's how you kind of arrange the fried eggplant in the dish. And it looks Got like it. Shutters. So they're yeah. like, here's your eggplant shutter. Yeah, here's a platter of shutters covered <laughs> in sauce. Um, <laughs> your shutters, sir? Um, others claim that the term Parmigiana comes directly from Petrosiana, uh, the term of Persian origin used for eggplant when it first came to Southern Europe before the more Italian meaning uh, mela insana, two words, not because now it's called melanzana, but mm. it, uh, uh, at first it was called mela, which means apple insana. So this literally translates in English to unhealthy apple. 
I'll say. Imagine biting into a fucking eggplant expecting for it to taste like an apple. Doesn't even look like an apple. Wouldn't a tomato be an unhealthy apple? I mean, or like a pear or like a <laughs> quince. Actually, if oh, sure. you really had, right? Quince is an unhealthy apple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's an eggplant has nothing to do with an apple. It's purple. It's like eggplants and apples. It comes from the ground. It's shocking. I don't really understand it. <laughs> Sicilian Parmigiana must have been a dish that was very similar to moussaka. Um, the first time we get historical evidence of the eggplant Parmigiana is found in Cuoco Galante, uh, an Italian cookbook written in, 19, in, 19, in 1733 by Vincenzo Carraro. Um, and this gentleman was from Puglia. And he served it to the most important uh, Pulgese aristocrat, aristocratic family of the 18th century in Naples, which is interesting. I guess he was from Puglia, but he went over to Naples. That's the other side. Um, anyway, in this recipe, he uses zucchini instead of eggplants. I'm shocked. And uh, fried in lard, seasoned with Parmigiano. It says here, it's very interesting. It says seasoned with Parmesan cheese, butter, and baked in the oven, which is like, what are they referring to as Parmesan cheese? Like, is it Pecorino or I'm assuming they are meaning to say Parmigiano. Uh, I think they're talking about the craft Parmesan. Oh, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. That was around in the 1700s. It definitely was. Aristocrats definitely had it at their house. (laughs) When you're, look, when you're right, you're right. And you're He's right. He's like, do you guys have any Parmesan in your fridge? And they're like, totes. They're like, we have Parmigiano. We have Pecorino Romano. But we don't have Parmesan, you <laughs> fool. Um, okay. So more similar to today's recipe is outlined in a book by Ippolito Calvacanti. In his book, Cucina Casarolina la lingua napolitana. Wow. Um, and he says in his book, the recipe, you fry the eggplants then arrange them in a baking pan, layer by layer with cheese, basil, and stew broth or tomato sauce, and then you will let them stew. Interesting. I guess hopefully he means stew in the oven. Otherwise, it's really more like a stew, right? Than like it's going to be very soggy. Pan. Very and soggy. And it's layered interesting yeah i'm thinking maybe either it like is layered and just kind of stews on the stove low without being stirred and Mm. covered you know what i mean sure um okay from the 17th century onwards cooking parmigiana style simply became synonymous with the use of the famous cheese in recipe books so uh you know when you go to italy they do have eggplant parmigiana everywhere one thing that they do not have in italy is chicken parmigiana that doesn't exist anywhere. Oh, interesting. it's not an italian um thing nor like veal or anything like that okay so it's just a vegetable version vegetable exactly and my australian friends who live in italy who eat plenty of things that are unsophisticated like when i've told them about like eggplant parm they're like i mean not eggplant but chicken parm like ugh, that is like the most that's the thing italians think is like the craziest thing like my friend david was like what is it? It's just a pile of, it's like a chicken cutlet on top of spaghetti. I'm like, you could just Google this. It's not a fucking chicken cutlet on top of spaghetti. I mean, sometimes That's, it is that though. Like, but it has <laughs> spaghetti on the side, but that like, yeah. I would never be like chicken parm comes with spaghetti. Like yeah. it could come with spaghetti. Like it's it, yeah. great when it does. I want it to come with spaghetti, but also like it's the same exact thing as eggplant parm. It's just chicken instead. Like what's the problem? I well, think typically, it's a great I guess idea. maybe I know. Like they don't always put mozzarella in it in Italy, but sometimes they do. I've had it plenty of times with um, provolone or mozzarella. Yeah. So whatever Italians take that. You know, I'm not going to Italy anymore. I can't take this kind. Yeah, of- you're not going to move there now after this. After eggplant parm, uh, chicken parm gate. Okay. Look, now we're going to end this off with a very on a very very sexy note. Okay. <laughs> okay. Get You've heard of the flavor saver tomato? Enter the eggplant emoji. Uh, here we go. Okay. This isn't that interesting, but hopefully it turns <laughs> you on. <laughs> Where Great. does the eggplant emoji come from? Asks Italy. <laughs> Italy. <laughs> <laughs> the eggplant emoji 
first debuts in 2010 and quickly becomes a symbol for the penis. 2010? That's so long ago. According to Among the News Words, a quarterly article in the Journal of American Speech, the eggplant emoji was used on Twitter to mean penis as early as 2011. Picture it. Jumped in there. There's Edison bulbs. There's fried Brussels sprouts. People are getting wet for this little cartoon eggplant. There's radishes and butter. (laughs) Radishes and butter and wet, wet eggplants. Okay, now we're going to the failing New York Times in an article (laughs) by Lilia Michon. Uh, I'm going to just quote directly from this uh, because it's hilarious, as most New York Times articles are (laughs) intentionally. The Thai eggplant is a tiny, round, and dainty in the hand. The Ananaya eggplant hangs straight down like a bell. The Picasso eggplant is dark like a teardrop. The bulbous tango eggplant is white on the shrub but turns butter yellow when plucked. I've never seen a tango eggplant before. Well, you haven't lived, my friend. (laughs) That's what the movie Tango and Cash is about. It's about a tango Um, eggplant and a stack of money. Last Tango Um, in Paris is also about that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) there are eggplants that look like oversized grapes, orange softballs, red onions, gone goth. What? More often, the U.S. supermarkets are filled with the Italian eggplant, deep purple and fat-bottomed, like a wobble doll. And the globe eggplant, the same shape but balanced outward, known perhaps inevitably as the American eggplant. Oh, sick burn. A skyscraper, a skyscraper amongst, amongst its kind. Anyway, she goes on to say, Still, the one that has come to rule them all is the Japanese eggplant. Slender, glossy, presented at an upward tilt, a regal baton to be handed off to the next runner with the green cap of its calyx perched perkily on top. Such is the eggplant immortalized as an emoji. This woman is insane. She's horny. (laughs) I think that's undoubtable. Which in the past quarter century has become the world's favored shorthand, a way to both communicate and dispense with both with the bother without the bother of communication so this woman i'm assuming is kind of like those people who you see on jerry springer who want to marry a house yeah. or uh a fence except she wants to marry the eggplant emoji and thus has written four thousand words on it of which i'm going to read to you all <laughs> settle in put on your sleeping cap <laughs> anyway um So last year, I'm going to just kind of skip to the end here and save you all. Last year, the eggplant was 165th most popular emoji out of 1,549. Now, I find that hard to believe. I would have thought it would certainly have been in the top 25 at least. What is the most popular emoji? I bet it's the heart emoji. That's probably true. I would would guess it's the heart. No reason to check. We're just going to say that it is. Yeah. You can go ahead and check while I say the rest of this boring statistics. Um, Does it it, change every year, probably? (laughs) Maybe, but this is last year, and this is in the U.S. only. Uh, It's the highest-ranking culinary ingredient um, in the the food and beverage category. Only the birthday cake, a cup of coffee, beer stein, and drinking champagne flutes surpass it. Now, I've never used any of those. (laughs) I do the... Champagne clinking often. As an emoji, like instead of being like, I have to go pee, you're just like, clink. Yes. <laughs> no, when I like, I I use it a lot to be like, oh, cheers or yay. You sure. Know, like, I mean, I was just stuff. joking. I can figure out what you're using for. Okay, great. Uh, some might fear that our dependence on emoji signals a backward step in civilization. This is a, that's true. Um, a reversion to pictography and the limits of literal representation. But of course, the eggplant is not an eggplant. It's not even a penis. It's a gesture. Lazy, perhaps, but also <laughs> delight, delightfully multiple in possibility, depending on the person who sends it. It could be a trial balloon, an offhand missive from someone with many eggplants on the fire, or an honest invitation. The tone, showboating, triumphant, recklessly hopeful, even numinous. This New lady minutes. has lost her marbles. She pitched this article to the president of the United States New York Times magazine. Yeah. <laughs> a real shock. And she's like, I want to write 4 million words about the eggplant emoji. 
I can't imagine it. Good thing writers make no money, so she has barely been paid for this, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I'm sure um, her parents paid her an allowance for this. <laughs> her Harvard education. Okay, so, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, since we're running out of time and Armin is rushing us, as usual, Armin, mm-hmm. thanks for nothing. Um, should we do our top three favorite summer vegetables? Yes, but quickly, the most popular emoji of 2022, so it was last year, sorry, is the face holding back tears emoji. That guy that has little tears in his oh, eyes. Oh, wow. That's very But he's surprising. like smiling. So I don't know. It means you, it works great when you want to express grief, gratitude, or glee. You can use it for anything. That's probably why it's so popular because you can use it to basically do whatever you want. Oh, interesting. You put okay, that next to an eggplant emoji. What does that mean? That means your dick is so beautiful. It's making me cry. Nice. So <laughs> my favorite summer vegetables. I do like tomatoes when in season only. Otherwise, I hate tomatoes passionately. Sure. Um, I really like, um, I don't know. I don't really like that many summer. Well, I do like to make salsa. So I'll put onions, but also only in salsa. Okay. okay. And also onions aren't even really summer, are they? They're like a root vegetable. No, and you don't like onions. Take that back. Tomatoes. Only okay. in salsa, I said. Okay, fine. Okay, tomatoes in season. And then my other favorite vegetables are raspberries and strawberries. <laughs> okay, great. Amazing. Way to, way to not pay attention to the assignment. Oh, also, I'm just sidebar making strawberry infused vodka right now. And I'm very excited about it. I have a very funny story about that. Let's save it for next time when Army okay. isn't rushing us off the air. Um, my three favorite summer vegetables are corn, tomatoes. Oh, yeah. I love corn. What am I talking and about? And cucumbers. I'm from Indiana. Sorry, Indiana. Corn, tomato, cucumbers. I love every summer vegetable, though, honestly. There's- Cukes are great. And I love eggplant and I love zucchini, but I only like to have sex with them, not to eat them. Are radishes summer vegetables? But I do yeah. like a radish. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's radishes. Yeah. Tight. Yeah, sick. All right, great, (laughs) folks. Uh, What an episode. We laughed, we cried, we talked about uh, wall spackle. Nicole, I love you. Can't wait to get back to see you again next week on the whale episode. Great. Bye-bye. Okay, we'll have a whale of a time. (laughs) Bye. Oh, hasta la pasta. Bye. (laughs) Life's a Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.